Hey guys, welcome back to another video. I got a comment on a video that I uh, figured would be relevant, talking about the early days of this whole thing, and the person had some specific questions about my situation. So, comes from Jerry, and Jerry says, so what was your overall timeline? Uh, meaning, how long were you in your state of your anticipated divorce? How long during the divorce? And how long in overall anxiety trauma? And how long until you got stability with your relationship with your children. My situation kind of flamed out in a rather rapid timeline. I mean, just for some context, was married for 23 years, 22 years, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember when this whole thing blew apart, but you know, so basically two decades in and uh, things were always a little tense, but it wasn't until the summer of the year that this happened. So it was basically that summer, beginning of the summer, like June, April, May, June, July, where the relationship really started tanking. And I started thinking that maybe this was not gonna work out. The short version of this, I'll just add this really quick, short version and probably a long video, is I had really come to peace in my life. Uh, things were going well. I was really grateful for everything that was going on. I was like, man, I gotta, I got a great career, I have a great wife, I have a great family, all the trouble, we have a disabled son, I mean, all the troubles with that, you know, we survived, we made it through it. This is just a, a you know, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. During that, my anxiety had really started to decrease. And unfortunately, what happened or what that meant is that the ability for me to get really anxiety uh, anxiety ridden uh, was diminished. And the reality of that is the ex or the wife at the time was starting to lose control of being able to trigger my emotions and evoke a response. Now, I didn't understand what the hell I was dealing with. She did some things to just try to drive a major wedge. I think in retrospect, looking back on it, she was trying to reset the dynamic, trying to basically get me to be back to the person that I used to be, so to speak. And uh, at that stage of my life, I was just, I was so emotionally, mentally exhausted of it that something had to change. And I started pushing I guess in some ways you could say boundaries. I didn't really understand boundaries at that time. So what ended up happening is what normally would have worked in the past didn't and things just started spiraling out of control. This all, like I said, started like probably <coughs> May of that year. Uh, like by maybe June, we started doing marriage counseling that was a colossal train wreck and didn't accomplish anything. Little caveat, side note, everyone always says never do therapy with a toxic narcissistic person. And there's truth to that, but there's a problem. Yeah. And what that problem is, is if you are really in love with somebody, it's not easy to just walk away from the relationship and be like, yeah, you know, okay, I'm done, two decades, it's over, you know? Not an easy thing to do. So I needed to 
I needed to actually put some effort into it to at least try to save the marriage. I, and so that's where I have a little different in the whole marriage counseling thing. The thing is you have to have realistic boundaries. You can't go in there and just have them beat you up. Fortunately, I was lucky. I think it was very apparent to everybody uh, besides me that uh, what was going on and what was what the deal was. But what I'm trying to say is if you go through and the person or the therapist is trying to blame everything on you or is not really validating your concerns or whatever, you still have to have a boundary with that, right? You don't necessarily want to go into a situation and be like, well, you know, I'm just going to go in and get beat up and devalued. It's a tough position because most of the time when we're in those situations, we're not really in our best spot. So it makes it, it makes it pretty tough. Okay. Anyways. So June to about August, like end of July is I think whenever I decided that, cause I'm actually the one that left and, and the reason, so I had, let me just clarify this. So I, uh, I had a therapist, the ex had a therapist and we had a marriage counselor. Now the therapist I had was work related. So it was part of the EAP. Most big companies are gonna have some resources that are available to you at free of charge. And that's what I use. During the course of this, it's like the we go to a meeting or to an appointment, the ex and I would not talk until the next appointment. And it was just stupid. And finally, I think my therapist was like, hey, you know, you just need to ask her if she's willing to work on this. And if there's any, any answer other than yes, it's over. So I uh, took a break. I went to go visit my mom and uh, ended up texting the ex saying, you know, hey, are we gonna work on this? And it was all like, well, I haven't decided yet or some stupid nonsensical answer. And I'm like, okay, then it's done. We're done. I'll file, I'll, when I get back, I'll file for divorce and we can be done with this. And it was just, you know, so that was around the August, July, August timeframe. So let me just double check what we're talking about. So, so a few months knowing about the divorce. So probably anticipating divorce. It was like way at the beginning from, I mean, like before we started marriage counseling, there was probably a few months before that, where that piece that I had that had just been destroyed. It's like, I couldn't understand it. I'm sitting here going, man, you know, just a few months ago, I was feeling really good. And now I'm like completely losing losing it. It was not a good time. So that was probably from the time we started marriage counseling, I would say probably three or four months before that. I hadn't thought about that. So it was a really good question. So Jerry, I'm glad you asked that. So that was anticipating that. And I didn't want a divorce. You know, I just knew I couldn't continue to live like this. So, so about three, so about probably three months, no, three, about six months anticipating the divorce. How long and overall anxiety and trauma? That's a tough one because honestly, I mentioned that there was a period of time, like for a couple of years where I was feeling pretty good. So that wasn't, you know, that the anxiety and trauma had dissipated. Before that, it was constant for probably a good decade or more. I mean, even whenever, before we had kids, we waited like six to eight years before we had kids. And uh, I know that's a weird timing, but I just can't remember that I'm getting, I'm getting old. <laughs> so we had, we were married a while and didn't have kids until after I got out of the Air Force, uh, which was in 97. 
son was born in 99. A lot of, lot of trauma and anxiety throughout my life. Uh, I don't know if that really answers your question. Now, if you're asking once a divorce started and it was like iron hot fire of anxiety. So that was probably technically from that end of May timeframe until the divorce was final, which is your next question, which actually happened rather quickly to be perfectly honest, which was in June of the following year. So basically filed for divorce in August timeframe uh, and it was finalized the next year. So what was that? Nine months, nine, 10, let's see, June. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't as fast as what most people are. It's, it was pretty fast compared to what most people were going through. And it was completely contentious. This was, this was a contested divorce. It was a nightmare custody evaluators, uh, you know, all kinds of stupid allegations. I mean, I remember I, I spent weeks, probably months, just trying to find out, like, what do you want? You know, what stuff do you want? Well, I want my half. This is the answer I would get. I'm like, what do you want? I want my half. Okay, what half do you want? I want my half. Okay, of the, of our stuff, what do you want? I want my half. I mean, I'm just like, I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? You know, I think at one point, I think that finally stopped it is I just said, okay, fine. We'll sell everything. We'll do an estate sale. We'll take the money, we'll cut it in half, and there you go. You get your half, I get my half. We all get what we're entitled to. And she goes, well, I don't want to do that. I just want my half. <laughs> I think to her that meant she wanted everything, plus all the money, plus all the rights to move wherever she wanted. I mean, it was just stupid. So note to anyone going through this, do not expect to have a rational conversation with your ex, it isn't gonna happen. They are going to play word salad with you and drive you out of your mind. Just be mentally prepared for that. That's easy to say now, but I'll tell you, that little experience was not fun and was incredibly complicated. So, uh, so how long until you got stability with your relationships with your children? Okay, so my problem through probably the first two years of this is I didn't know what I was dealing with. I knew the ex was trying to, to, to get the kids to pick, you know, pick mommy, mommy, mommy. And, uh, you know, they, she was trying to get them to like, just say that she, they, that they wanted to live with her. They only wanted to visit me and you know, that type of crap. In other words, flip the dynamic of the custody. And I, unfortunately, what I was doing is I was, every time she would do something, I would try to talk with the kids and undo that, which ultimately hurt me because it actually stressed the kids out more. I would have been much better off and it would have made everything better for everyone else if I would have just ignored the crap she was doing, focused on making uh, the relationship with my kids as stable as possible and mitigating the effects of their mom throughout all of this. Unfortunately, in the beginning, I didn't do that especially during the divorce, I didn't do that because I was scared to death because she told me, she's like, well, I'm taking my kids out of state, you know, and basically F you, you know, and I was scared to death that that was going to happen, that she was going to take the kids, move out of state, take all the money. And I would basically just be, you know, never, never in my kids' lives. I'd be from afar watching their downfall and completely broke funding her new life. So it was a pretty scary time. The sad part about that for me is 
I couldn't see the positives that were happening. And as a result of that, I just was in this catastrophic uh, cyclone of chaos that uh, was kind of my own creating. Uh, the problem is, is that when you're in that fear mode, you don't know what's gonna happen. You think everything's gonna go to crap. You're trying to prepare yourself. You're trying to convince everyone what's really going on. And it's not a good situation to be in. I remember at one point she had told me, you know, I'm leaving the state, I'm taking the kids. And I was still having conversations with uh, my, my brother-in-laws and stuff like that, or one of them in particular. And he's like, oh no, no, she says that uh, you both need are important in the kids' lives. And you know, she hasn't said anything about moving. And it wasn't until I forced the issue, actually I forced my attorney to ask for a settlement because I had min made a comment like that to the ex. And you know, she's like, oh, well, we could settle. And then it was like, well, you haven't sent a settlement. So I forced my attorney to send a settlement. He was not happy with that, by the way. But what's good about it is they sent a thing, saying, uh, sent a thing back rejecting my 50-50 custody offer said basically, well, Miss Butterfly is moving to out of state. I don't say the state, but you know, moving out of state and there will be no way to do 50-50 with the kids with them being, you know, two days away. So, but the good part is, is when I had that letter, I was able to send it to my ex-brother-in-law and say, hey, you're telling me that she says she's not trying to leave, but right here she won't agree to us being both equally in the kids' lives because she's moving out of state. And that, you know, that that prompted a, a like, oh my God, I didn't know that. And then what ended up happening, and this is another little note that you guys need to be prepared for. Initially, the guy was like, oh, that's just wrong. You know, let me know whatever I can do to help. And ultimately that guy sent a, a letter letter it wasn't it wasn't an affidavit because it was just a letter but a letter to the custody evaluator really weirdly worded exactly the way my ex speaks and talks saying that i was a piece of shit that all i cared about was toys electronics and money and never cared about the kids or anybody else so there you go my point about that is do not expect the other side or the other family members to be loyal to what is right expect them to be loyal to that person. Now, I've known people who have had their in-laws say, yeah, you know, our daughter or whatever is batshit crazy and, you know, this would not be good for the kids. That's rare, don't expect that. So just be careful of that. That uh, kind of set the, the dividing line for that. And those last few months sucked. You know, I mean, we had a custody evaluation we were supposed to have in December of that year. So. I think our first court date would have been October, but they but they filed wrong. So then it was November. So our first court date was in November. Temporary orders were set, which I will tell you whenever they threw out the numbers, the people in the courtroom gasped at the number that I was uh, forced to pay. Amazingly enough, she gave me the kids for the first Christmas and proceeded to bounce and leave the state. Go back, go back, quote unquote, home. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where also you got to keep in mind that, you know, like this person, Jerry's asking, you know, you're, you're still, if you're early into this, you're still anticipating that the person you're dealing with is a normal human, not a complete self-centered psychopath. Well, not really a psychopath, but I'm just being hyperbolic, but that, you know, they'll put the kids first and 
I couldn't understand initially. It's like, why in the world would you on the very first Christmas leave the freaking state and leave your kids? You know, I mean, I mean, she agreed to that. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, it was like, oh yeah, you can have the kids first. So maybe, I mean, I used to think, well, maybe she was going back to try to see if she could find a place or something. I think it was all about her and she's like, oh cool, he can watch the kids and I can go spend you know, Christmas with my family. Note to self, if you are starting to see behaviors like this and you're like, wow, this person, I mean, you, you can't figure it out. Just think of somebody who's completely self-absorbed, self-centered, who's probably like at a 10 year old level and has no concept of, uh, of, of, of empathy or even the consideration for anybody else including their kids. Once you can do that, you can start to guess what they're going to do. Okay, so that part sucked, right? So that part through that, you know, she bailed on the custody evaluation. And when she came back, she bailed on it again because it wasn't in her timeline, which I thought, oh, great, you know, it's going to mess up or piss off the custody evaluators and and uh, our evaluator, not, not plural. And no, uh, they gave her a pass. I mean, they commented on some things, but, you know, I mean, for the most part, don't, I mean, do the best you can throughout this, but don't expect that anyone is just, especially with the mom, that anyone is going to just automatically side against them and, uh, hold on, let me move this out of the way, side against them and, you know, hold them accountable because it didn't happen. I had a couple of friends of mine who said, you know, don't expect that. I was kind of hoping that, you know, they would come back and say, well, this person is unstable and, you know, dad should get custody but that was not it was 50 50. keep in mind that when i was going through this the whole accusation is that i hated what was it it was like I, like i hated women you know and you know oh my god how is this going to affect our two daughters uh i was verbally and physically abusive and controlling I, you know whatever i mean just porn addicted you you name it it was accusation after accusation it was uh, it was good times. No, it wasn't good times. It was it was horrible times and incredibly stressful. I'd like to say that's when I got all my gray, but that was not the case. Okay, so and then how long until you got stability with your relationship with your children? Okay. Fundamentally, my relationship was okay with the kids. Obviously, they were really stressed. And what the ex would do, and I'm sure a lot of you guys can uh, relate to this. When I say guys women can be affected by this as well so all you peoples kids would walk in the door hey guys glad to see you about maybe an hour into it bing you know email or text with some just you know bomb dropped in my lap and it i i like to think that i'm not a complete and total fucking moron but yeah well, you know, it is what it is. What I'm saying is, is that it took me a while to recognize that pattern. And I would it, would, it would completely destroy the time I had with the kids. So the kids would walk in, I'd be okay. She'd be able to drop a bomb in the whole situation. The kids would recognize the stress, they would internalize it, and that would affect things. So it took me probably, probably took me a good six months to kind of get some stability on that. The problem is, is I did not heal those fundamental wounds. I put them in a box, I hid them away, and what ended up happening is, is you know, like six, seven months later after all this, 
I started dating my current girlfriend, Debbie. Things were going really well. The ex was leaving me alone. Yeah, it was painful. The money sucked. I mean, everything kind of sucked, but there was stability. There was stability in my life. And then I introduced the kids to Debbie and the ex lost her effing mind, called up the Department of Child Support Services and said, he's a deadbeat, you know, during the government shutdown. She didn't say it this way, but during the government shutdown, uh, I didn't get paid. Eh, partly that was my fault, but you know, whatever. So she was like, yeah, he's a deadbeat, turned me in, basically had the county start managing the case. The last thing you want is a county managing your case because they are ruthless and vicious. So, and even with talking to him, they said a lot of times the disgruntled exes will always call them and just try to find ways to screw with the ex. So I had, uh, I had the child department of child support services coming after me like every week, sending me notes like, you know, here's your court order, prove that you have medical insurance. Otherwise we're going to get it and charge you for it. You know, you're God, at one point they said I was $5,000 in arrears and I called them and they're like, oh no, you're fine. And then the week after that, they started garnishing my wages for like $1,000 in arrears. It was uh, not a good time. And that kind of set me where I crashed back down. So I guess I had this thing where I was low. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. I'll go this way. I was low. And then my, you know, about 17 years into it, you know, things started getting better and I started feeling good. X lost control crashed everything down crashed it down into the divorce and then you know we got the divorce and it kind of went back up and then crashed back down and then slowly i started started uh figuring things out really the big catalyst that helped me figure things out was whenever the potential for an undiagnosed npd narcissistic personality disorder from the cluster B of the DSM-5. That was whenever I started doing some research on that. Initially, I know I've told this story before, but initially when that was told to me, I was kind of irritated because all these people, you know, it's like, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. But when I went home, did the Google, looked it up, and I was like, holy shit, this is exactly the pattern of behavior that I'm dealing with. This is, she's doing, every, I mean, it's like, you know, you know, they do this, this, this. It was like, check, 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 check. I was like, holy shit. You know, then I said, well, how do you, you know, you know, how do you co-parent with a narcissist? You don't, you can't. And that's what you'll ultimately realize that you cannot parent or co-parent with a narcissistic toxic person because they have no ability to do it. The only way they'll do it is if you do exactly what they want, agree with everything they want, give them complete control and never question anything they're doing. Then, then you can quote unquote co-parent with them. But if you have any ideas, it's not going to work. If your kids start having problems, I guarantee you, if you have a conversation and you say, Hey, I'm thinking we need to do this, this, and this for little Johnny or little Timmy, they will do the exact opposite and use it against you to make you look like you're a scumbag. So that is probably the long version of that. The only thing else I would say, uh, how long until you got stability with that? So that was probably like maybe, so with the ups and downs, I think once I finally realized that and I, I changed my approach with the kids, uh, like the transition day. If you watch seen my other videos where I talk about Groundhog Day, which is what I transition day where everything resets. I initially, I was like, you know, hey, you gotta, it's, you know, you're back here. We gotta jump back into things. I realized that was a colossal mistake. So I would wait a day and let uh, let the kids kids reacclimate to being over. As long as they weren't completely disrespectful, every once in a while they'd push it to where you had to do something. But if it was just normal 
whatever, just let them transition. And then by the second or third day, it was fine. Once I started realizing that, it started to calm things down. Once I started understanding that she was playing these games and not taking the bait, that's the biggest part is because they'll, they'll set, your ex will set the children up as little like time bombs that walk in your house, explode. And really it's to see how are you gonna react, right? I mean, I had one point where my, my middle daughter, you know, announced to the world, you know, I, I went and dropped her off at her mom's for something. And she skipped back in the car and, and says, mommy respects my decision. And I'm like, what decision is that, honey? To be homeschooled and, you know, and mommy can be my teacher. And uh, actually, I think it, I think it, I had an initial flare on that where I'm like, well, that ain't effing happening. And then I turned into when we finally got home, a screaming match with my daughter, you know, screaming at me, pointing her little bony finger. And I just had to remain incredibly calm. That's what I'm talking about. You got to recognize what's going on so you don't take the bait. Right. Because that's what it is. They're trying to create chaos and conflict in your house. And early on, how you interact with it is really going to determine your success or not. So Jerry, I hope that answered the question. Let me just go back through it. Overall timeline, talked about that. Meaning how long were you in the state of anticipating divorce? Mentioned that, it's like six months. How long during our overall anxiety trauma? I mean, realistically, it was pretty much most of my life. But uh, after the divorce, it was probably two or three years. And what I mean by this is like, the anxiety of going to the mailbox and getting yeah, having a you know flashback or PTSD, seeing their their car in town or a car that looked like hers, freaking me you know and having an anxiety attack, seeing somebody out in public that I you know might look like her, that type of thing. I mean it's it's really weird. It's real, right? I mean so if you're experiencing that, it's a it's a thing, you know. So don't let anyone tell you. That you're being stupid or that you have a have a problem I mean you have a problem but uh, that is a very stereotypical response to these such scenarios and uh, to the trauma bond and all that kind of stuff so I was in that for probably a couple of years but yeah I mean it's so I mean just to for clarity I think I am at uh, let's see let me do the countdown timer countdown I am the separation was August 10th, uh, so that's been 11 years, three months, and the divorce was finalized 10 years, five months, and just for clarity, I was with, I've been with Debbie for eight years, in January it'll be nine years, so, uh, you know, it's been a long time. I think the real question that you're asking is how long does it take to get your life back? That depends on you. It depends on how much work you put into it. What I would tell you is if you find yourself getting triggered or if someone tells you a story and it makes you really angry or your ex does something and you have that, that visceral, like instantaneous zero to 100 response, means you're not, you haven't healed from it. Uh, that, these aren't fun, but I, after a while, I started looking at them as indicators on that I'm not healed yet, right? And then now you get, I'm to the point, very rarely does the ex do something where I'm like, where I have a, like I have a visceral response that lasts more than <laughs> maybe four seconds. So it gets better. Part of the thing that helped me on that was the absolute thinking. I have a video on that. I really started working on that. That took me a few months for that to really start to take hold. And then Nicole comparing what was going on at her house compared to what was my house. That's where I came up with the black hole thinking. 
and that helped me to just like, okay, stop thinking about what's going on over there. It's irrelevant, it doesn't matter. Unless it's criminal and the kids are going to die, don't worry about it. And uh, hard to do, hard to do, but that helped. So if anyone else has any more detailed questions they want, let me know, put them down in the comments below. Jerry, if you happen to be watching this, uh, let me know if this answered all your questions. Bottom line, guys, hang in there. This shit sucks. It feels like it's gonna just tear you apart, which it is. But the, the hard part is it feels like there's no hope of it ever ending. There is hope, you just have to work through it. And you have to work through it. If you don't work through it, the universe will give you an opportunity to figure this lesson out with another experience, probably typically worse, and I don't want any of you guys to go through that. I want you to take this nightmare, heal from it, recapture your life, and I wanna get those emails two years down the road, a year down the road saying, hey, you were right, got my life back, and things are great. So on that, sorry for the long one. This is a way long one. We'll see how this video does, and uh, I'll chat with you on the next one. Take care, bye.